Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. We're going to pray again because I feel very needy right now. And it's a gift of God whenever he does make us aware of our own need, because whether or not we realize that we are needy, every single one of us in this room, but I really feel it right now in a particular way. So we're going to pray and we're going to ask God for his help. So uh, join me as we do that. Father, we do come to you and readily acknowledge our need for grace. We need blessing. We need favor. We need help, for lack of a better word. If we are going to see you for who you are from your word today, if we're going to see Christ, if we're going to see what you have for us today, if we're going to understand rightly and apply what is in your word, if we're going to have anything good come out of this time, we need you to do it by your spirit. We need you to make it happen. I pray that God, as I attempt to preach your word, that you would help me to speak with boldness and with truthfulness and with clarity and with joy this morning. And we pray that all of us, the preacher included, would be ready to receive the water of your word today and to delight in Christ through it. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We have just prayed, obviously, and speaking of prayer, I imagine that there are a number of us in this room, maybe all of us, that are familiar with the prayer that goes something like this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. Amen. I prayed that a lot growing up. It's not a bad prayer, even as an adult, but it's a simple prayer to teach your kids as maybe you're trying to have them pray around the dinner table. Just kind of give them something to say that's full of truth, and it teaches them the practice of prayer. One thing that I love about that prayer, even if it's a quote-unquote kid's prayer, is that it is packed full of theology. Just think about it. In that prayer, you are thanking God for your food, for your daily bread, and by doing that, you're saying that God is the provider. It's saying, thank you, mom or dad or whoever, for making this food, but ultimately, thank you, Lord, for this food. He's the provider. I love also how it starts by just declaring two massive truths about God. God is great and God is good. These are massive statements about the character of God, and they come straight from the Bible. And one place that we see those characteristics is in our sermon text for today, which is Psalm 113. So if you haven't already, go ahead and start making your way to that passage in your Bible. Psalms right in the middle, roughly, of your Bible. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to. While you're turning there, let me give you some context real quick for this psalm. So Psalms 113 through 118 have been called the Egyptian Hallel. Hallel just comes from the Egyptian word meaning praise. And so Egyptian is used there in the context of this passage because of the later connection with the Passover. So that time when the Jews were delivered from slavery in Egypt. If you want to go back and read that, you can read it in the book of Exodus. If you think back even to when Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover, Matthew chapter 26, verse 30 says that after they celebrated that hymn, they sang, after they celebrated that meal, they sang a hymn. And it's believed that the hymn that they sang was very likely from this section of the Psalms, 113 through 1. 
18. Some people even believe that Psalms 113 and 114 were sung before the Passover meal traditionally, and then Psalms 115 through 118 would have been sung afterwards. It's kind of a popular opinion about the Psalms and when they would have been sung by the early church. Regardless, what we do know is that our text today is a psalm of praise. You'll see that as we look at it, which we're going to do right now. So before I say anything else, Follow along as I read Psalm 113, starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. The Lord is worthy to be praised. I have two points for you this morning, and they are about as simple of an outline as you have probably ever heard in your life. But just because they're simple, it does not mean that they are easy to understand or to even believe sometimes. Points one and two, though, are going to go like this. God is great. God is good. God is great. God is good. We see this so clearly. Point number one, God is great. We see this so clearly in the first section of the text in verses four through six. So we're going to come back to the beginning of the passage a little later, but I want us to think about the middle of the text right here. So these verses are really clearly all about the greatness of God. And this is something that we as people, we as a church and the church talk about all the time. We sing songs about the greatness of God, how great thou art, how great is our God. You can go on and on songs about God's greatness. There are all kinds of songs and prayers based around this characteristic of God. God is great. But what does that mean exactly? We believe it and say, God is great. Amen. Uh, Yes, God is great. But what exactly does that mean? Like defining greatness or explaining greatness can be difficult. So what do we mean when we say that God is great? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about this, but Let's look this morning again at verses four through six here in particular. So it says that the Lord is high above the heavens, his glory above the heavens. It goes on in verse five to describe the Lord as being seated on high. He looks far down on the heavens and the earth. So again, just think about greatness of God and in particular, the location language that's used in this psalm. So the Lord is high above the heavens, above the heavens, seated on high. He looks far down on the heavens and the earth. So here's the idea that God is great in the sense that he rules and reigns over the whole world. Plain and simple. Just think about that. Our God is a God over all. He's the high king of heaven and earth. He's the one and only ruler over all things. The text is saying that God reigns supreme over all nations and above all creation. He's high above the heavens. He's high above the earth. That includes everything. Anything that you can think of, God rules over that thing. There's a quote that you may have heard before. 
uh, where this man, he says this, he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It rules over all things. Uh, think about this, this God that we're talking about, even in relation to some of the most famous, infamous leaders, rulers, kings in human history. Guys like Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar and Napoleon and Charlemagne. All these guys, they founded these empires. They all had some temporary reign and influence that was noteworthy across the known world. And then they died. And then their reign was over. And then their rule was gone. And even as great as some of these empires were, as great as the Roman Empire was, the greatness of these rulers cannot hold a candle to the greatness of this God. God over all. Uh, think about even some of the world leaders that we have in the world today. This person rules over this nation. This person rules over another nation. They lead their own nation. Our God reigns over not this or that nation, but over all nations. God is great. There's no comparison. There's no contest. When God tells mountains to fall, they fall. When he tells oceans to be still, they are calm. When he tells sickness to leave, it's gone. When he tells broken things to be healed, they're whole. And when he tells dead hearts to beat again, they do. He's the God over all. In reflecting on this passage, I was reminded of Isaiah chapter 40 as well. And listen, if you want to grow spiritually, if you're wondering, how can I, how can I grow spiritually? Well, there are a lot of good answers to that question. And trust Christ is a way to grow spiritually. But also, you want to, if you want to grow spiritually, you want to cultivate humility in your life, read Isaiah 40. Uh, there aren't many passages in Scripture that will make you feel your own smallness in relation to God's greatness than Psalm 40. And I would love to read the whole thing, but I'm not going to for time's sake. I'm just going to read a few verses, 21 through 23. Isaiah 40 says this, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. The Bible says we're like grasshoppers. That's how high and mighty this God is over all things. When we compare ourselves to other people, we might think that we have it together. We might think that we are the great one. We can think we're looking good, feeling good, crushing this thing called life. We deserve recognition and praise from others. People should be tripping over other people, tripping over their own feet to meet our needs because we're great. It's tempting to think that way sometimes. But at the end of the day, whenever we compare ourselves to God, that's humbling. That's perspective. Look at this question in verse 5 as we wrap up this particular section. Who is like the Lord our God? Answer, no one. There is no one like our God. Psalm 47, 2, how awesome is the Lord Most High. So, so here's a little bit of application for you. Whenever you attend a church service like this, like we're in right now, the goal should not necessarily be, shouldn't really be, to experience a great service. Here's what I mean. We don't want to leave here primarily thinking something like, what a great service that was. What, what great music that was. What a great sermon that was. The music was really on point today. I hope it's as good next week. 
the preacher was good today. I hope he's even better next week. Is it bad to have those thoughts? No, that's natural. We're going to think things like that. And we do want those things to be good. But by God's grace, our greater focus when we attend a church service is not going to be on the great service that we experience, but on the great God that we serve. The God who sits on a throne of justice and of mercy and of kindness and of glory. There's a song by a group called City of Light. We sing some of their songs here. They have a song called Only a Holy God. And the lyrics contain a lot of really good questions. And I'm not going to read the lyrics per se, but some of the words in those songs I think will help us over the next few moments think about the greatness of our God and help us marvel that there is no one like our God because they talk about in that song about these things, about how no one else commands all the hosts of heaven. No one else could make every king bow down. No one else can whisper and darkness trembles. No other beauty demands our praises. No other splendor outshines the sun. No other majesty rules with justice. No other glory consumes like fire. No, uh, no other power can raise the dead. No other name remains undefeated. No one else could rescue us from our failings, and no one else would offer his only son. This last one's good, so I'm going to wait for a minute. Yeah. No other power can raise the dead. No other name remains undefeated. No one else could rescue us from our failings. No one else would offer his only son. No one else invites us to call him father. (laughs) So who is like our great and glorious God? No one. That's point number one. That's truth number one for us to think about today. We're going to look at number two now, another simple one. God is good. God is good. We see this in verses 7 to 9, and just like with the greatness of God, the goodness of God is also something that we sing about and that we talk about, but we we don't always know exactly what we mean. That God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. That's true. What exactly does it mean, though? Well, look down with me at verses 7 to 9, and let's see what this teaches us about God. So we have these people that are living in these severe conditions. They are experiencing poverty and filth and Misery talks about the poor and the needy and the barren woman. And what we have here is this great God, the one that is so high above us, looks down and sees the inhabitants of the earth like grasshoppers, the one who deserves to be praised by all the peoples of the earth. This same God is also close beside us. He looks down on his people and he raises them up. He raises us up. He's not distant. He's not different. Uh, He's not indifferent. He's near to us. And, And out of his goodness, he reaches out, this text says, and he reaches down to the poor and the needy with compassion. Uh, Just look at what he does. Verse 7, it says, He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. And it says he transforms their position of desolation and despair into a position of dignity and privilege. He does that because he cares. He raises them to sit with the princes of the people. He goes above and beyond for even the lowliest of people. We see this very clearly at the end of the psalm in verse 9. It says that God gives the barren woman a home. 
making her the joyous mother of children. This is amazing grace from God. We even have some very real examples of God doing this in the Old Testament. So God promised to give Abraham and Sarah a child. That was part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. We've seen that as we've gone through Genesis as a church together. And then Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. We see this again in the book of Genesis in the lives of Rebecca and Rachel. These women were barren, and then they were blessed by God to be mothers. And then listen to this. This is one more example from God's goodness in this way in the Old Testament. We already heard some of it today as our sister Sandy read this passage to us. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read about a woman named Hannah. And verse 5 there says that Hannah's husband loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So she was barren, which especially for an Israelite woman, being unable to bear children was a pretty miserable condition. The depression, the reputation, all of those things. But then listen to what happens. Verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. The Lord remembered Hannah. It's great. He's God over all things. He remembers this individual woman. And in due time, she conceived. She bore a son and she called his name Samuel for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. That's the kind of thing that Psalm 113 is talking about. The images here in our text are meant to show us God's tender care for his people. They teach us that, yes, God is ruling and reigning over all people, but that doesn't mean that he's remote from people. He pays attention to our lives. He pays attention to even the smallest details of our lives. And somehow, uh, uh, because he is so, so good, he cares for us. And sometimes this is even over-the-top goodness in the sense of how this example from verse 9 is. The barren woman here, it says, doesn't just give birth to one child, which would be a miracle because she was barren. It says that God makes her the joyous mother of children, plural. This is over-the-top goodness, abundant, bountiful goodness that we're talking about. And the right response to the goodness of God is what this psalm talks about here. It's joy. The woman in verse 9 becomes a joyous mother because God has given her, in his goodness, children. The goodness of God is intended to lead us to gladness in God. That's what happens for Hannah in 1 Samuel 12. God delivers her from the barrenness that she was experiencing. And in response, she has this song. She prays a song expressing her delight in God. She says, my heart exalts in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. And that goes on for, as we heard earlier, a number of verses. So again, deliverance by God leads to delight in God. And listen, maybe you're here this morning and you are like all of us, you are having a little bit of trouble understanding the goodness of God. I know that I do. So first of all, you're not alone if you, are, if you have questions about the goodness of God. But maybe you're thinking, that sounds great, and I'm glad it worked out for Hannah. I'm glad it worked out for the Psalm, Psalm 113 and that barren woman. But I haven't really seen God's goodness in my life. Maybe you're thinking, if God was really good, my life wouldn't look like it does. Or maybe you appreciate the life that you have. Things are going pretty well, but you look around and you see a lot of things that aren't good around you or in the world. You see a lot of things that confuse you. 
If this God is so great, he can surely do something about it. So what's going on? Like, sure, God, God does give children to some women who aren't able to have them, but he doesn't do that for everyone. What's the deal? Most, if not all of us, have some way we could fill in that sentence. If God was good, then fill in the blank. So first, let me just say that it's obviously it's understandable to have thoughts like that. Rarely are God's ways and purposes clearly understood to us. I don't have answers for why God does all that he does. Your pastors don't have all the answers for why God does everything that he does in every particular way. I don't have perfect answers for why God's goodness looks a certain way in one, per one person's life and different in another person's life. And more than that, the Bible doesn't give us those kind of answers for all the particulars of God's purposes. But I also want to say that oftentimes our perspective is a little off when we think about what goodness is. So let me give you an example that I think you'll be able to relate to. I don't know how many of you love going to the dentist. If you do, um, you should get your head checked out because something might be wrong with you. No one likes going to the dentist. Why don't we like going to the dentist? Well, because it's it's really nothing short of torture, I think. They literally have these little drills and pickaxes that they stick in your mouth and start scraping around and drilling deep into things. They're attacking your mouth. They spray you down with what feels like just a little fire hose going off in your mouth. You're drowning. There's water splashing everywhere. And to top it all off, they try and talk to you while you're having this thing done. And then you end up looking and sounding like a moron trying to answer their questions. So not only are you kind of hurting physically, but you're hurting in your pride. They always want to know so much, too, when they're talking to you. They're like, oh, uh, how old are you? I'm 30. Well, can you tell me everything that's happened to you ever in your 30 years of life? And spare no details. And, and you want to be nice to them and answer their questions because they have sharp objects jammed into your mouth. So you're trying to talk to them. You don't want to make them mad. And the whole thing is just miserable. And... Of course, if anyone here works in the dental industry, we love you. We're thankful for you. But nobody likes to see you. It's just the truth. Um, whenever I leave the dentist, I think this is true for you. Here's the point that I'm making. Whenever I leave the dentist, I never talk about how good of an experience that was. Ever. It's never like, I had such a good time at the dentist. I can't wait to go back. Those people are so good to me. Felt like sleeping on a cloud. It was amazing. But in reality, going to the dentist is really good for us. It is good for us. It doesn't feel like it. We might not recognize it. It's not our idea of a good time, but it is good for us. And in the same way, it doesn't always feel like God is working good in our lives. We don't always recognize his goodness. Sometimes God's work in our lives just straight up hurts. We didn't sign up for it. We don't want to experience it again. We feel like we're having to go through all this for no reason. But just like Psalm 119.68 says, God is good and he does good. And we as Christians, we know this even if we have a hard time seeing it and believing it. I don't know why God's goodness looks the way it does a lot of times, but I know that he is good. And that's what I rest my head on at night. 
And if you really want to see the goodness of God on display, then you need to look no further than the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Even in the badness of our sin, God responds to us with the goodness of his son. We deserved eternal death for our rebellion against this great and holy God that we've talked about. But God, because of his great love with which he loved us, he gave us life. One, one uh, theologian said this, said, The heavenly Father gave us Christ. He could have given us nothing more excellent, nothing dearer, even if he had given us the whole universe. We weren't just poor and needy. We weren't just victims of bad circumstances. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in need of a resurrection. And then God, in his goodness, gave grace and gave life and saved us from our sins. He gave us his only son. And listen, only a good God would crush his beloved son for sinners. Only a good God would do that. The son of God, Jesus Christ, the one that we worship and we we revolve this whole service around and we want to revolve our lives around this Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life, a good life on our behalf. He died this death that we should have died for our lack of goodness. And then on Sunday morning, a Sunday morning like this, God raised him from the dead. God in his goodness, through his son, defeated sin, defeated death, defeated hell, defeated Satan, and offers full forgiveness, not partial, not conditional, but full forgiveness and eternal life and everlasting rest for all who would turn from their sins and trust in this Jesus. God is good. Jesus Christ is good. Thomas Watson said, Christ is more full of goodness than the sun is full of light. And the goodness of God is seen most clearly in the cross of Christ. So if you're living life and life is hard and you're experiencing a dentist-like experience and you're having trouble doubting, uh, you're having trouble believing the goodness of God, look to the cross. Look to the resurrection and see the brightness of the goodness of God. The, the call this morning from Psalm 113 is for us to once again fix our eyes on the cross. It's to let this gospel, this good news, wash over us in a fresh way this morning. As we pray that it does every morning and every Lord's Day gathering. The goodness of Jesus is all we have and the goodness of Jesus is all we need. So brothers and sisters, find your hope in him this morning. Be satisfied in him. Take your weariness, take your fears, your discontent, your anxiety, your spiritual anxiety to him and find comfort in him. Find rest in the peace that he gives. I want to close by looking at the beginning of this psalm here, verses 1 to 3. So we've seen that God is great. God is good. Now let's look at what we should do in response. So it says, Praise the Lord, praise, O servants, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, so all day, every day, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And then again, the psalm closes in verse 9 with that same phrase, praise the Lord. So it's, it's tacked on the end, like, okay, in case you somehow missed it at this point, let me just throw it on the end one more time. Praise the Lord. It doesn't take... A genius to see what the point of this text is. The word praise is in here five times. 
So that's the application. That's one application. That's the takeaway for us this morning. We are to praise the Lord. That's the point of the whole universe. That's the point of your life. That's why you and I exist, is to praise the Lord and to, uh, like was prayed earlier and like we see in Ephesians and other places, things happen. God does what he does to the praise of his glorious grace. So in life, we want to live our lives to the praise of God's grace. That's why we exist. This text, it teaches us about the character of God, his greatness, his goodness. It teaches us theology. And when we learn theology, when we grow in our knowledge of God, it's meant to do more than just give us more information, right? We're not meant to just gather facts about God and then tuck them away or break them out when we need them for an argument or whatever else it is. Correct theology is meant to release praise. When we believe rightly about God, uh, when we get a greater understanding of who this God is and what he's like and what he does and why he does what he does and what he's done in the gospel, we can't help but respond in worship by his grace. It's more than uh, just as a little add-on to what we're talking about here is more than just praising God with, with songs, right? So we're going to sing a couple songs in a few moments, but it's more than that. It's praising God with our lives. It's praising God even as we listen to a sermon or preach a sermon or as we participate in communion or as we work our jobs or as we talk to our neighbors or as we raise our kids or as we build relationships with people or have relationships or whatever we do, the Bible says, do all to the glory of God. So, so we don't only do praise and worship when we sing. And then we move on from that to other things. We don't only worship God, praise God. We don't only apply Psalm 113 whenever the music's still going. After the music stops, we still want to praise God. And this, pra this praise is meant to continue in our hearts and our lives all the time by all kinds of people all over the world. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Why? Because he's great, because he's good, because he's faithful, because he has given us his son. That's the point. From now until forevermore, praise the name of the Lord our God. Let me close with these words from Jonathan Edwards, and then we'll pray one more time. What reason we have to praise God, who has given us so much cause to glory in Christ Jesus, that we who deserve so much shame should have so much cause to glory, that God should take us, who were under bondage to sin and Satan, and give us such a glorious victory over our adversaries, and that God gives us so much greater privileges than others, that we should have such a king is reason enough to praise God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, as we reflect on what we've seen in your word, we recognize once again that we need you to root it deep in our hearts. God, we pray that you would use your word and use whatever else happens in this service today and what's already happened to push us deeper into the gospel. Give us a deeper awareness of our need for you and your love for us in Christ. God, we pray that we would believe that you were believe that you're great, 
believe that you rule over all things and that that would give us a peace, a lasting peace in our hearts and in our lives. And God, we pray that you would help us to trust that you are good. Even when we don't understand what you're doing, you are good. And we pray that you would help us to find peace and rest and assurance in that. We thank you for Christ and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.